is so good. I, uh, again, it, it's, you've heard me say this before, but it's always great to go on vacation. It's always great to get away, but it's also always so good to be back. It's so good to come home. If you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 1 today. The salesman at the furniture store told me, this sofa will seat five people without any problems. I said, where am I going to find five people without any problems? <laughs> Day 12, without chocolate. I've, I, I, I have lost the hearing in my left eye. My favorite childhood memory is having energy. (laughs) If you want to take a nap while the children are home, just tell them, wake me up in 30 minutes so we can clean the house. (laughs) They will literally be quiet so you can sleep. It's my wife's birthday tomorrow. She's been putting jewelry catalogs all over the house. So I I bought her a magazine rack. (laughs) I felt the pain. I I could feel that. That was was something else. How many know that's not a true story? That's, That's just made up. Luke chapter 1. Christmas is about hope. Christmas reminds us of the hope that God gave his people when he promised to send them a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer. That this promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it invites us to look forward in hope to the day of his second coming when he comes back, when all the promises that were initially fulfilled at his birth will be completely fulfilled at his return. You know, if you think about it, it's entirely appropriate for Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world, to have come in the form of an infant. Because babies are hope personified. They are pure potential. Their lives are are, are before them. Every mother, every father that has looked uh, into the face of their newborn baby and wondered, you know, what will this little girl, what, what will this little boy accomplish? Will they become a doctor saving lives? Will they become a lawyer pursuing justice, an engineer, a painter, a ballerina, an astronaut? a college professor, an athlete, a research scientist. Anything is possible. But Mary had even more than the usual maternal expectation to justify having great hope for her son. The previous year, she had been visited by an angel named Gabriel, who gave her a promise, and that's what I want to read in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 31. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You're not only going to have a miraculous conception, that is, without knowing a man, but his name will be called Jesus, and he will be great. He will be the son of the highest, and he will reign on David's throne over the house of Jacob, and his reign will be forever. This promise to Mary echoed the, the prophecy of Isaiah that was given seven centuries earlier, 700 years before. And I'm reading Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I guess I already read this, didn't I? Hmm. I was just giving you a preview, preview earlier. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Can we sing that song next Sunday, Sarah? Okay, I don't mean next Sunday. I'm not going to be here next Sunday. Yeah, okay, that's what I mean. Next time we meet. Uh, Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That this child, that this son that will be born, he shall carry the government on his shoulders. The weight of leadership will be on him. And he will be called, he will be, called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government. Now, not only did Mary receive a promise that was actually prophesied 700 years earlier, but Mary's husband-to-be had also received a promise, an encounter with God. In Matthew chapter 1, now the context of this is his wife-to-be is pregnant. And he's pondering how to put her away secretly to cause the least amount of grief in her life. But while he is pondering this, he has an angelic visitation, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Imagine. The angel says, take Mary as your wife. Go ahead. The child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She has not been unfaithful to you. 
and he will be a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, when Jesus is born, God made it clear, this is the baby that the whole world has been waiting for and watching and hoping for. Ever since the first man and woman sinned in the garden and were banished or driven out of Eden, God made a promise of one to come, a savior, a deliverer. You know, what, what joy must have filled Mary and Joseph's heart as they looked down at, at, at their, their tiny son wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in an ordinary manger, filled with straw, surrounded by animals common to a stable. What hope they must have had knowing that this child was the one in whom all of God's promises would be fulfilled, knowing that he was the one in whom God would send so God's people could find forgiveness of sins. The one in, 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 in whom they would find true and lasting peace. The one whose power would establish an eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness. I, I think it, it must have been overwhelming as they considered the, the awesome responsibility that God had given them. You know, parenting is such an interesting thing anyway. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, when you started having kids, you were really not ready for it. Anybody else? In other words, it was kind of an on-the-job learning situation. And you hope you're doing okay. You know, I mean, the more kids you have, I think the, the better, the more comfortable you get at it. My, my theory is, by the time you're a grandparent, you're almost smart enough to be a parent. Just by experience. But here, they, they've been given the, the one. They've been given the, the, the child that would change everything. How... how how that responsibility must have hit them. I, I, I mention all of this because the, the, these promises that were associated with, with this, this son that was to be born, I mention this because it highlights the fact that Christianity is a religion of hope. It, it is a faith that looks back at the first coming of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross, but it also looks forward to the future, to the time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled. Now see, that was true for God's people prior to Christ's birth. As they look forward to the, this promised Messiah, it was true for Mary and Joseph as they looked down at their newborn son, knowing that God was fulfilling promises that had been promised to, to, to the people of God through, through centuries and centuries of time. The time had finally come. And see, it's true for us today as we look forward to the return 
of Jesus Christ. Our, our faith is, is it, it, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm trying to clothe things in words that I haven't processed yet. Our, our, our faith is present. Our faith is with us now. But there is this place where we're looking to the future. There is part of our, our, our life here on earth recognizing that this is not our home. This is where we're sojourners here and we, and, and we have an eternal abode with God. We have an amazing future. Now, that doesn't mean that Christianity has no relevance to our daily lives now. Far from it. The Christian faith is intensely practical. Our, our faith in God affects us every day. But it does not mean that, that here and now is our only focus or even our primary focus. Our primary focus is on a world to come. You know, in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says it so well. He says this, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Our focus is actually on a world to come. But, but paradoxically, it's our future focus that allows us to live life to the fullest right now. Does that make sense? To anybody? <laughs> I thought, man, I'm going to have to start over. I'm going to have to think through my words better. Now, we, we could, the sermon could stop here because we're, we're talking about how hope it, it, the part it plays in our lives. And, and we could just stop the sermon right here if it, if it wasn't for one thing. Hope is not automatic. In fact, sometimes hope is difficult. Sometimes our circumstances seem anything but hopeful. That the challenges of life will try to steal your hope. So how do we sustain hope in the midst of disappointment? Or, or difficulty? How, how do we keep from being overwhelmed by trials or, or of various kinds? How do we maintain an attitude of hope when everything in us wants to yield to the things that are happening around us and the despair that, that is circling around us when we can't seem to see the way out when we want to give up? You know, we've all faced those situations where, where it, there seems to be little objective reason for hope. It may be in our job, maybe in our marriage or in relationships with certain family members. Some of us at times have faced seemingly hopeless medical situations or financial situations. Some of you right now may be in a situation that to you seems hopeless so that you're tempted to, to let go or to give up hope. How do we hold on to hope during those times when our circumstances might seem hopeless? First, put your hope in God. 
trust in him. Now, that might seem way obvious, but often <laughs> we are willing to seek help from anyone and anything else before we turn to God. He becomes like sort of a, our, our last resort. After we've exhausted all of the, the options, we go to God. You understand what I'm saying? So, so if our problem is financial, we, we don't look to God first. We, we maybe go to the bank or we, we talk to our rich uncle. We, we, we race our brains, rack our brains, trying to think of any way we can overcome this financial problem. If a problem is relational, a conflict with a spouse or, or a family member, We'll buy books on marriage, scour articles in, in magazines, listen to the latest marriage podcast, and then finally maybe talk to God about it after we've tried everything else. That, that, that's backward, isn't it? We, we should go to God first, not last. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I don't have this in the notes. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to understand it or wrap your mind around it. Just in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will Direct your path. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a powerful promise? Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 33. I'm reading verse 16. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope. For safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Let your mercy be on us, as we hope in you. So what is the psalmist saying? That, that, that kings shouldn't have large armies? Or, or that warriors shouldn't ride horses? No, he's saying that even if a king has a large, well-equipped army, it can't guarantee success. If he's relying on that for his victory, if his hope is in those things, he'll be defeated. One must hope in God. And when, when we place our hope in God, it pleases God. It, he delights in rescuing those who put their hope in him. His eyes are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them. He becomes their help 
and their shield. He is more valuable than ten armies. Are we going to trust in the flesh and the, and the, the resources of this realm? Or do we trust in the God who created this realm and created us and put us in this realm? I'm not saying don't go to the doctor when you're sick or that you don't go to a, a bank when you need some money or that you don't see a counselor to help you work out conflicts in your marriage. I'm saying that you don't put your hope in those things. You put your hope in God. He may use a doctor or a banker or a counselor, but your hope is in him, not in them. Does that make sense? You don't trust the doctor to, to take care of you. You trust God to take care of you. Now, he may do it through a doctor, but remember, it's not the size of the king's army that matters. You know, I, I value doctors. I value anybody that, that is functioning in, in the gift and the capacity that God has given them. I, my doctor... Um, I really appreciate him. And when we come together, we have great fellowship that usually ends in an embrace and a prayer. But I remember one time I heard that he had gotten in this motorcycle wreck and it broke something up in this area, a, a place where you can't put a cast on a person. And, and it was going to take like six months, six to eight months to heal. And so I just happened, it was my time for my physical, went in there. And, and I said, hey, I, I heard you hurt yourself on the bike. And, and, and do you mind if I pray for you? And it was so funny because he stepped back by the door and he said, and he shut it with his foot. And he said, sure. And so I prayed for him. Now, I didn't hear until uh, like a week or so later but God healed him. And he even came to our church. It was when we were in the old building and shared his testimony and said, I'm supposed to be the healer here. Like, I'm the doctor. See, God will, will use whatever resources that we give to him and make available to him. But ultimately, I am looking to God for the needs that I experience in my life. I'm not looking to this realm. I'm not looking to a doctor or, or a, a, an expert in some area or some large resource of finances or, or military. I am looking to God. Does that make sense? Here's, here's the question. When you're in a situation where your hope is, is running low, what do you do first? Do you rack your brain to think of all the ways that you can maybe solve the problem? Do, do you try to think of people and, and resources, maybe organizations, plans, strategies, and then if nothing else works, do you finally turn to the Lord? Where in that process does prayer enter the picture? First, last, ever? Here's what to do. When your situation starts to see, seem hopeless, just stop. Just stop right there and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to handle this, but my trust and my hope is in you. 
I'm relying on you to resolve this situation. My eyes are on you. Please show me what you want me to do. Amen. Amen. What will happen if you do that? Your hope will be in God himself. And, and I, can, I can guarantee you that he will prove himself faithful to you, that you will not be disappointed. You will not regret trusting and hoping in him. Waiting on the Lord, hoping in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. And I just want to read three verses of scripture that, that talk about that. Are you guys doing okay? Is that clock working? Okay. I can't go by that then, James, can I? I thought, man, I've got lots of time left. Not, not exactly true. The first verse is Isaiah 49, verse 23, the latter part of the verse. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy, seeking him, hoping in his mercy, waiting on the Lord. You know, the whole concept of waiting on the Lord evaded me as a young Christian. I thought it was like waiting on the Lord. It's like sitting on the couch, kind of twiddling your thumbs, hoping that God will show up or God will do something. That, that, that's what kind of came to my mind when I thought about waiting on the Lord, hoping God will show up some, someday. But the concept of waiting on the Lord is different than that. The word wait means to become entwined with, and see, as you become entwined with the Lord, his strength becomes your strength, and that's why those that wait upon the Lord, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. They will be strong in the, in the, in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, as you wait on the Lord, you're not only entwining yourself with him, but there's this sense of expectation. There's this, like any minute, any moment now, God is going to break through and, 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 and the answer will come. It's like walking around every moment being fully conscious of, of, of God, fully conscious of the spirit realm. At the same time, I'm walking in, I'm living in, I'm interacting in this natural realm but do you understand what I'm describing? See, God is attracted to faith. And see, when, when we live with an expectation, it, it's an amazing thing. And see, that's why I, a couple Sundays ago, in fact, it might have been the last time I shared, uh, I was talking about the power of your testimony. That the things that God has done in your life, that when you share that with someone, you're actually inviting God to come and do it again. You're stirring up the, the expectation of the other person because God is no respecter of persons. And what he's done for 
This person, he'll do for this person what he did last week, he'll do right now. And when we, when we steward the testimonies of, of what God has done properly, we begin to live in this place of expectation. What are you doing? I, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm not sitting around twiddling my thumbs. I'm walking through this life. I'm being navigated by the Holy Spirit, and as I walk through this life, I'm just looking. I'm just, I, I, I just, I, I can't wait to see and experience how God's going to break through and touch people around me, touch people's lives. I, I'm getting a little bit off track, but I think it was a good track. Uh, we're talking about what do we do when things seem hopeless. Sometimes when you're right in the thick of things and you can't see any evidence with your natural eye of God working, how do we continue to trust in him? How do we continue to place our hope in him alone? Because if we do that, we will not be disappointed. So where does this kind of hope come from? Let's be real. It's one thing to say, put your hope in God. It's another thing to actually do it, especially when the pressure is on and your circumstances look hopeless. Where, where, where do we get the faith we need to do this? Actually, we get it right from God himself. We go right to him to get the faith we need to place our hope in him. We, we had a men's breakfast yesterday at the Blue, and we were talking about peace. And ultimately, we got into this, the thought pattern that, you know, whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm experiencing, I need to shift to the Lord, get my focus on Him. If I'm carrying things I shouldn't be carry, carrying, I can roll them off of me and onto Him. But ultimately, if I've got my eyes on Him, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Now, see, Peter is walking on the water because Jesus said, come. And, you know, I personally believe if Peter would have kept his eyes on Jesus, everything would have been fine. But all of a sudden, he's kind of distracted by the wind and the waves and all this stuff that's going on around him, and he starts to sink. But Jesus caught him. Even when he was, his faith failed, so to speak, Jesus caught him. And he was there. There's a verse of scripture I want to read to us. I'm, I'm going to get you out on time, okay? Heaven time. No. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think on God's promises. One of the ways we develop an attitude of hope is just to read our Bible. Just to be encouraged by the word of God. It will edify you. It will strengthen you. And think about, meditate on the promises of God. The more we fill our, our mind and our heart 
with, with thoughts that come from the word of God, the, the, the more we begin to allow eternal realities of the kingdom be what we are looking at and what we are seeing, the less the things that happen around us in this life will disturb our peace of mind. That, that's why Paul was able to write this. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul, let me tell you, Paul experienced some suffering, some persecution, some difficulties. Listen to what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm reading verse 16 through 18. Am I reading too much Bible? Good answer. Good answer. Therefore, we do not lose hope. I'm sorry, heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is bet for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, temporal in nature, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying we're going through this life, and any suffering, anything that we go through is just light and momentary compared to the thing that God is doing in us that has to do with his glory that shall be revealed as we step into eternity. It's nothing, comparatively. The more we focus on the blessings and the glory of the life to come, the less burdensome our current problems will seem in comparison. What, what makes this statement that Paul made all the more amazing when he says light and momentary? See, Paul, what Paul experienced was not light and momentary by most people's standards. I, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I, I want to give you hope. I want to impart something to you today. 2 Corinthians 11, listen to Paul describe his light, momentary sufferings. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You know, they, they pushed him outside of town. They stoned him. A little while later, Paul just got back up and headed back into town. That's what happened. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in perils often, I mean, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentile, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, 
in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Now see, this is what Paul is describing as light and momentary troubles. The problem for us is that we think too, too much of, of everything that's going on in this realm. And that may include problems that we're walking through. And, and too little about the things that God actually has in store for us. If we gave that more thought, the difficulties, sorrows, pains of any kind that, that threaten to, to overturn our faith or to, to rob us of hope would seem much smaller and less significant. Finally, what is our basis for our hope? What right do we have to place our hope in God? The answer is in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God whose birth we celebrate in this season. 1 Peter 1. How are you guys doing? Verse 3, I love this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of Jesus Christ, God has given us abundant mercy. We have a living hope because of Jesus' resurrection. We have an incorruptible inheritance reserved for us in heaven. You know, in the natural, you can put money here and put money there, and it's not beyond problems. You know, you know what I'm saying? The, the, it's, it's corruptible. It can be infected by inflation. It can be affected by all kinds of different things. But he's describing a, an inheritance that is incorruptible. And you get to live with God in a place of favor forever. Worship team, I just want to invite you to come up. I'm not just speaking to those of us that are in the room today. Or maybe even those of you that have tuned in right now. But I'm also speaking to those of you that will watch this at some point in time on YouTube. And I just want to ask this question, do you know him? Have you placed your trust in him? Are you trusting in him right now? Have you received God's gift? Christmas is all about giving and receiving gifts, but Christmas is really about God's gift to us. That gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas 
is really about. Don't get distracted by all the commercialism. It's about God's gift to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. Christmas is always a, a fun, a, a family time. And it's wonderful to see the, through the eyes of your child, to see them light up when they receive a gift from you or from someone else. But don't you think that the Father wants to see your eyes light up when you receive the gift that he has for you? John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those that believe in his name. It's not about saying the right words when you pray. It's about lordship. Will you give your life to him? to take charge of? Will you bow before the authority of Jesus Christ? Will you acknowledge your need for God in your life? No one, no one can experience God until their heart bows before him. Until they come to God in humility and receive his gift. Let's stand together this morning. I would like to invite you to pray a prayer with me this morning, especially if I'm describing you today. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, Father I choose to receive your gift today. Just to receive your gift today. I choose to receive Jesus Christ. Just to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth. I choose to make you my Lord. Take the reins of my life and lead me. I am a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive my sins. Jesus, come into my life. I want to live for you. Show me why you created me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.
like that new version, don't you? Praise God. I want to invite prayer teams to come and just be available. If you need prayer this morning for anything whatsoever, God is here. He wants to touch you. He wants to minister to your needs. The benediction I want to give you is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I already read it earlier. Thank you for not getting up and leaving when I did. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, saints. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you on Christmas Eve from 5 to 6 p.m.